0: You are locked on Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your
1: team every day. In the minute, we live. live. Dog
0: Adam Hornets
1: Hornets. <laughs> Twelve hours of my life last week writing thousands of words. When my wife was like, "What are you still working on that?"
0: Oh, but it's so amazing, and, then, and, and I love the response that you're getting from it, Adam. This uh, deluge of comments about how people are waiting for this in the off season, and uh, I, I've read it three times now, and it was definitely worth the
1: wait. Really? Oh, thank yeah. you. That's very kind. That's very kind of you to to invest your time in in something like that.
0: Well, um, the, the reason it's the reason it's great, and this is the the last time that I will shower you with compliments in this interview before we actually oh, dig into this. Okay, good. Uh, I don't good. Wanna, yeah, good. I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, but, it's weird.
0: Yeah, but uh, the the reason it's great is because uh, it not only offers uh, stats, it not only offers information, but there's context, and and con- and and an intelligent context, not context that sort of uh, that overblows either mistakes or successes. I feel like it's just really good context in here.
1: Well, that's, you know, aside from the the, the nuts and bolts of writing an off-season preview, you know, writing uh, about the draft, the free agents, trade, you know, fake trade possibilities. You, you know, you really have to, for me, I, I wanted to set up the thing in a way that people could say, okay, well, this is why they make these moves because everybody's like, man, they got to just blow it up. They got to... Batum. but he sucks. What's he doing making $20 million a year? Ah, Kemba's going to, you know, we're going to waste his prime. And I, I really wanted to make sure we covered in in detail the issues, why just Sam Hinkie-ing the team is just not an option. It continues to not be an option uh, for Charlotte. And then also explain why they are doing what they are doing and, and, and sort of do a, what's, what's the word, uh, it's like a, uh, reverse, you know, when they go to a crime scene, they have to like, kind of like figure out what, okay, what happened here. Right. And, and if you, if you look at what they've done in the draft, you can, you can reverse engineer, um, over the past few years, what they're looking to do. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that we, we, we had what you, you, know, you so succinctly <laughs> put as context before we went into like, you know, what's going to happen next.
0: Well, that brings us to the title of the article, which is A Commitment to Relevance. And so do, do you... Is that a judgment, good or or bad, or are you kind of on the fence about a commitment to relevance? And for, first of all, what does that mean to you in terms of this franchise and the direction that they've taken since Cho has been on board? What does that mean for the future? And do you think it's a good or bad thing? Three-part question.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's the really the big question with the Hornets in general as an organization is, you know, again, so many people want them to just blow it up and become the Sixers or the or the the magic or the sons and you know, my point is is that you can't do that not in Charlotte, not with the new ownership and this goes back to you know when Jordan bought the team I mean the, the, we're, we're talking this is a seven year process almost right I mean maybe more I don't know when he became the official owner I forgot that date but when he became the majority owner of the team I mean you can't just be terrible if you're if you're the Hornets. You can't be one of these teams because you're on your second NBA marriage, you know. And yeah, there were some lease agreements and things like that that locked the the team to the arena for a while. But you know, just playing at that lease agreement until until someone comes along and says, okay, well, you know, now the penalty is so is is low enough to where we can you know move you to Seattle, and then you know it's, it's still going to be profitable for us. Well, you don't want that to happen. That's the worst case scenario. And, you know, being horrendously bad for um, for an additional six years. You remember, they were also bad for, I mean, really bad, like laughingstock bad from the, the moment that Bob Johnson bought the team. So you can't just keep doing that for, that would have been now 13 seasons. You, you had to have tried. And, you know, I mean, I, to answer your first question, I don't think that that's a good or a bad, you know, uh, I don't want to put a value judgment on it it's just, it's just what it is. It's the situation, you know, you can't risk your relocation. You can't risk, you have to pay people salaries. You know, I mean, if you can't sell any season tickets, you can't get local sponsorships and interested because you're a joke. Um, you know, I, I think that there's, you don't have that opportunity if you're Charlotte, you know, so um, yeah. Value judgments assignments It's necessity. And now they just have to continue with it and see it through because, you know, again, we got, you got to walk and then you run. And I really hope that they can see this through. And, and listen, man, when I started writing this piece, I didn't know how good the starting five were. And I, I was chatting with, with Geisinger. Um, uh, I hope that's how you pronounce his name. I've, I've been like Twitter friends with him for a while now. He's, he's such a smart guy. Um, Brian Geisinger um, on Twitter, and he sent me some stats that I put in the end of the the piece. Man, the the Hornets would have had the best the best defensive unit in the league had the starting lineup played more minutes together. Like they would have outranked the Spurs, right? And they were like top five overall if you if you like play in 500 minutes. Those those numbers are in the piece. So, if you, people uh, to get those numbers exact, please please read the piece. But uh, the starting lineup was so good, so you know, they have things to build around. They have some stuff to build around. Uh, they don't have any terrible contracts other than Plumlee. And and even that, I mean, I think you could move it and stretch it in a couple of years. If you had to, they don't have like a 35 year old guy on the roster who is just, you know, making $30 million or $20 million a year. They don't have um, a ton of picks that they owe uh, like Brooklyn or, or some of these other teams, even the Lakers, you know, they owe some picks forthcoming uh, the heat. Oh, you know, as much as they've done well, they still owe picks for the Goran Dragic trade. You know, the Hornets have their picks. They own all that stuff. All but their, will, all they, their...
0: will they use them? I think is is a question, because if you look, uh, Cody Zeller and Frank Kaminsky, really the, the only picks that that they made and, and sort of stuck with. They, they of course, traded their Shabazz Napier pick for P.J. Hairston, and he stuck around for, for a few minutes. Uh, but they've traded okay, a well, lot of those picks uh, away.
1: Let me address, let me address this because this is something I I brought up in the piece very specifically. So between 2004 and when, when, of course the Bobcats arrived in Charlotte as an expansion team and 2011, okay. I'm talking about only lottery picks. Okay. Not like late first rounders, not not the Jared Dudleys of the world, not second round picks, but lottery picks, your bread and butter um, assets. If you're going to be a rebuilding team, right. They only had two of those seven lottery picks in that time frame sign law, sign extensions with the team after the rookie contracts were up. Right. The first one was Okafor. The second one was Gerald Henderson. Okay. So they had two of seven sign actually sign ext- extensions, right? And Okafor was, I think it was like a year and a half later, was traded for Tyson Chandler and then they had a year of, I mean, you could say it was a year of production. It wasn't that much production, tra- Tyson Chandler. And then they, they traded him for some, you know, Flotsam and Jetson. They got, they got, uh, they got Eduardo Nahara. Listen, and, and but, and but salary, to be fair, but to be fair,
0: Flotsam, uh, was a really good three point shooter.
1: That's true. That is true. <laughs> Jetson wasn't, wasn't, wasn't bad in the paint either. Yeah, um, that's true. So, so, um. They uh, and then this and then Gerald Henderson, uh, his extension, you know, they, they just they basically bundled him in with uh, with the Batum trade. Right. With with fondly. So they didn't get it. So I, I'm working on this definition, this number. This is, I'm, I'm going to come back to the, the ultimate question here in a second. But I'm working on this definition. I haven't seen anywhere else on, on the Internet, but of of what what. The definition would be for for a, a, a team to draft a guy in the lottery, or just draft a guy in general, but certainly in the lottery, get four solid years of production in the lottery, and then get four to five years of solid production after he signs his extension, because that's what you usually you. If he's a really good player, you get the five year, you give him the designation, um, and if he's just a very good player, you give him that four. And can you get eight to nine years of quality production? from one player. And the, and the Bobcats from two thousand and four to 2011 had a zero. They got zero of those. They had, even though they had all those lottery picks, they got none. Okay. But from 2011 to today, that's where it starts picking up beyond Bo aside. And I single him out in the piece.
0: Well, let's no Let's, 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 well, let's talk about that because so I want to go back to something you said earlier. When did Jordan take over? So he, he had a, interest in the team or or an investment in the team in 2006 2 years after they returned to Charlotte and then took over the team uh took controlling interest of the team in 2010 and then hired Rich Cho for the the 2011 season and that's where your that's essentially where your article begins uh the newly you say the newly crowned general manager Rich Cho made his first significant roster move with the franchise in which they traded Steven Jackson to the Milwaukee Bucks. And here's the crazy thing. When I look back on that trade, Steven Jackson didn't want to be traded. This was, which is crazy <laughs> that the player did not want to be traded from the Charlotte Bobcats, a good player like Steven Jackson was good in his own right.
1: He had yet to meet uh, Mike Dunlap. I'm sure as soon as he met Dunlap, he would have been like, get me out of here.
0: But you love this move. Why? And, and how did that move lead us to where we are today?
1: Um, think about it. I mean, so if you look back at that particular trade, like he was able to move up 12 spots from the end of the, the first round with, it was a pick that originally, uh, you know, uh, ironically enough that the Bobcats acquired from Portland in a trade with rich show when he was the Portland general manager for Gerald Wallace. Right. So that was like six months prior. They had that pick late in the first round Cho used that pick bundled it with Steven Jackson and Asterisk, a little-known backup point guard, a journeyman named Sean Livingston, right? He was just a trade fill-in at the time. He was pre-Golden State days, obviously. And he moved up 12 spots, 12 spots to the number eight pick, right? Number eight. I always get that and the nine pick mixed up because the Hornets pick nine all the time. To get Bismack biombo right? To draft Biombo. Now, that's 12 spots in a good draft for pretty much nothing. I mean, St- Steven Jackson, did, did he, how much value did he have in the league at the time? I mean, yeah, he was, he was better than the Corey McGetty, which was the South where they swapped out for him. Right. Uh, but I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who was always already in his uh, early thirties. He was, uh, you know, he had a, obviously he had some, some personality quirks, you know, that, that, uh, that the team uh, deemed incompatible with their rebuilding uh, effort going forwards. So going forward. So, to me they, they spent no money, they spent no assets really to get to get 12 spots uh, to jump up 12 spots and then of course, that was the last time that the hornets slash Bobcats truly swung for the fences like said, you know what this guy is totally raw, but we're, we're, we see something in him and he's gonna we're gonna develop into something amazing and you know what Didn't work out just didn't work out and uh, and since that point and I make this point in the piece, Every other lottery pick that they've selected since 2011 has signed an extension with the team, which is an amazing feat considering that in the seven years prior to that, and in the seven lottery picks prior to that as, as well, they had they had two, just two. So we've had Kemba extension, Co- uh, MKG extension, Cody extension. The next player available for the extension, the lottery pick would have been Noah Vonleh. Oh, we're going to trade him. Get Nick Batum, really good young, young youngish, primish vet extension, right? Next one up coming up is going to be Frank. Uh, My guess is unless he totally just, you know, regresses even more this year, he'll get some sort of extension with the team or the team will try to extract value out of him some ways. So they're getting value out of the lottery picks. That's my point is like they're they're finally as an organization, maybe they're not getting getting a, a Giannis. And, and, and maybe they're not getting, um, you know, some really good late round steals like the Rondos of the world back in the day, but they're getting really good value finally out of the lottery. Whereas before they were just essentially throwing away their, their picks.
0: Yeah. And I think the the Noah Vonley selection uh, was a selection in which because of where he was being mocked in the top five, when he fell to nine, it, it almost felt like they had to make that pick. But that was another pick of, of a guy that had a lot of unknowns and didn't necessarily work out for the hornets but they were able to turn it into a trade and i think that i think it would be fair to to look at their draft history and assume that with all of the picks that they've traded since and the singles and doubles that you've that you outline mixed with the the amount of trades that they've made in the draft that they feel like they can make more maneuvers to become relevant in the, the trade market and in a free agency than the draft.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, th- between, you know, listen, uh, I mean, th- they have, they have, they know that they're going to get consistent production out of the draft. They, they may not get a star right. Due to this strategy, um, they free agency, it's going to be tough to lure a big name free agent to just, I mean, other than big Al what, what, uh, what, what like moderate, uh, you know, above average free agent has just elected to sign with Charlotte since 2004. Can you, can, can we, uh, is he the only one, right? I
0: believe like, so.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, everybody else, they, they, they've been on the team, you know, with Nick, they had to do this whole thing where they recruited him essentially in house for the year, for the year. And then they brought him back. And, and fortunately he didn't sign for his full max. He, he went a little bit on, on the discount. Um, once he, once he got there. So I, yeah. I mean, they're just not going to do that via free agency. So they got to get solid production in the draft and then show seems to be really good at generally making trades. This, this, this miles, uh Plumlee thing is still, that's, that's the one obviously that has everyone shaking their heads. Yeah. No well, let's, let's fast out.
0: forward to the present because we've talked a lot about how we arrived uh, to where the strategy is today. And I don't think that that strategy is going to change uh, because you have the 2019 all-star festivities coming to Charlotte so I don't see them them you know blowing things up ahead of that. So uh, let's talk about their situation now, uh, beginning with the draft coming up on June twenty second. Where do you, what do you see their situation being at the number eleven spot? It looks like they have a ton of options, um, but uh, no one seems to have a consensus about what they what they will do.
1: Two things about this this lottery make it really difficult to to mock it out. Right, and those two things are Vivek and and because they have two of the picks in the <laughs> first ten. Right, like like like. I mean, I, who knows what they're going to do? Like, you know, they could, they could take. You could see at number where well, they, they have six and ten. Is that right? I think I think it's six. They have they have five, five. They have five or, and ten. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, five and ten. So you could see them taking like could Zach Collins go at five or something crazy? He certainly could go at ten. Um, so could, what if what if like, the
0: Hornets could? because they look, look, they made a deal with Sacramento last season. Why maybe they can make another deal with Sacramento into trading down one slot and take a contract off the books. Like a Jeremy lamb. What if they tricked? Mm. Sa- Listen, oh, it's mean. not, it's Sacramento.
1: <laughs> this could yeah, be done. Um, maybe they owe us something from, from that uh, Bell and Ellie deal. I don't, I don't know. I still haven't figured out that Bellinelli bell trade. What I think about it ultimately. I know some people hate it. I, I got to see what, uh, Malachi Richardson does first. I don't think they would have drafted this now. Anyway, we're getting off topic. So so in terms of the, the the draft, see, the thing is about trading up. Unless you really love Dennis Smith, and some people really like him. I, I listen to the dunked Dunk on guys talk about Dennis Smith uh, earlier in the week or last week, I should say. And, and, and those guys sung his praises. And, and I, from what I've watched of him, my only thing with Smith is like his, his attitude. The demeanor seems a little strange to me. You know, I don't know him personally. Never, never, I don't, of course, I don't know him. But, you know, it's just, there's something about the demeanor that doesn't scream leader or, you know, to me. And, and that, you know, I know, that's an intangible, but there's some, but, you know, there's that. Is This wingspan, wingspan, uh, 6'3, I believe, uh, on a 6'3 frame. Um, you know, the fact that everything went down hill for NC State this past year. I mean, who knows what happens when you lose your coach like that in a collegiate program? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, if they're big on Dennis Smith, then maybe he's worth trading up for. But I mean, honestly, you're sitting at 11. Why give up another asset to move up when there's legitimately 11 to 12 really good players? You're going to end up with one of them.
0: Well, if you could unload, I guess the argument there would be if you could unload a contract and free up just a few more dollars. In in free agency then, but, but again, you would have to find a trading partner willing to take a Jeremy lamb who did not necessarily have a, a season that would, um, you know, be incredibly attractive to another team to take on an extra $7 million, which is a, a part of the problem with a lot of their trade prospects is that uh, nobody had apart from Kimba, who is somewhat untouchable and they not a lot of, players had a had a standout year um let's talk about yeah th- but i you yeah. know
1: I, I i don't think lamb is going to be too, too difficult to move he's he's youngish mm-hmm. and he can shoot you know i mean if you're the sixers if you're the nets if you're a team like that that wants to roll and he's got two years on his contract at like seven million so that's not a that's not like crazy. I, I think if they wanted to just dump him, I don't think they'd have a problem, especially later in the off Once everyone spent their, uh, I agree with that. I think it's Martin's tougher. I think it's
0: tougher to unload him in, in the draft is what I'm saying, because, oh, the, yeah, because yeah. I, then I know, the stakes are so, raised yeah. and the, the assets mean more. Um, but let's talk about who you do like in this draft. It seems like um, you're, you, you like Zach Collins uh, just on paper, but maybe not necessarily necessarily, uh, the, the player that they need at this moment in time.
1: Collins is really talented. I mean, Collins is like going to be, if you watch, if you watch some of the, some of the, the compilations of him, like, uh, I mean, I watched some of the, as much of the game, actual game footage as I can find. So I can see the negative stuff that, you know, that, that they're not going to show you on the, 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 the highlights and, you know, per game. Um, yeah, I mean, he's thin and he, he's really jumpy and stuff like that. And he's only 19, but he's, He's skilled, like, and, and if you, if you watched him in the shoot arounds, draft express uh, posted a, a thing from him at the combine, he's got a really good stroke, I uh, stretch it above the break. I um, think he can hit corner threes as well. Uh, block shots. I mean, get up. So, so really he's kind of like everything you'd want out of, out of Frank and Cody. Uh, if you can just combine them and then add in the shot blocking because Cody is as, as solid as a defensive force as he is. Uh, doesn't uh really have that to his game so uh so yeah i i think he he wouldn't be ready for a couple of years uh to be to be like uh the the starter you know uh that said i mean he's a super high upside uh prospect and i, I would totally be be fine with it they ha- they have to explain it to the to the casual fan though because you know oh. optically hey great seven seven uh seven foot white guy and I haven't yeah. seen that before
0: i don't but i don't think you they've know. ever been Concerned about explaining draft picks to casual fans, or they would not have selected Cody Zeller or Frank Kaminsky. I, th- I think they're <laughs> they're pretty blinders on, and I think that's a good strategy. You don't want to start, you know, dictating your own draft philosophy based on um, casual fan reaction. I think you have to you have to have a strategy implemented, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then then heads roll.
1: Um, I, I, you know what? I've already got my tweet ready. I got it in the chamber. If if MJ drafts uh, Kennard or, uh, or or Collins, I got it ready. I'm gonna well, try to break the internet with it. I'm gonna try to break it. Well, stay tuned.
0: Uh, no, I think I okay. think Collins is more rotation ready than than you think he is because because of what this particular rotation needs. If they needed a starter, if they needed you know a solid backup center, then then probably not because he does need to add weight. But I think this rotation needs some plug and play shot blocking. And he has that with, with timing. It's, it's how physical he can get inside if, if guys you know, decide to back him down. Can he, can he withstand that? And then there's some other things that concern me. But uh, I, w- I want to move on to guys, the other guys that you do like, that you think are more rotation-ready. Give me a few names in the first round that you like.
1: Donovan Mitchell. Uh, of course, Hornets Twitter loves him. Uh, if, you, if you follow anybody on Hornets Twitter. Uh, he's, uh, he's got a six ten wingspan, six, three, uh, about six, one without shoes Louisville, uh, combo guard can, uh, can, pl- plays well off pick and roll actions, uh, improved shooter, uh, although somewhat streaky, uh, really improved uh, his shot later in the season, mid, mid to late in the season, uh, played under Rick Pitino of course, um, uh, uh, Louisville, uh, I, I, you know, he's got, he's got really crazy ups to his game too. Like there's a couple, like you wouldn't think a guy who he doesn't look very tall. Cause like, he's built kind of like Ola Depot in, in a way. Uh, but he'll go up and, 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 and uh, slam like alley oops, uh, you know, and backdoor cuts and, and, and like wheel plays and stuff like that. So he's, um, he's, he's really, um, yeah, he's, he's really intriguing. Uh, I think there, obviously you are talking about guys at 11, there's going to be downsides as well. I think his issue is, is, a, is a shot consistent? Uh, you know, is he, um, I, I'm not super crazy about his handle. He's not like really a point guard. He's not really a, a shooting guard uh, somewhere in the middle, but I think you can play with Kemba and it'd be really interesting to see those two uh, scorers playing together. Uh, so the next guy on my, like, I'm like, can step in right away.
0: Is it unfair? I, I think that Donovan Mitchell could be a, a PJ Hairston that isn't as in love with his three point shot.
1: Um, well, I mean, obviously different body builds, different positions. um, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a mini, guy, he's a
0: guys. mini Harrison. He's not going to be able to yeah. you know, play the three, but I'm, I think he's, he has that same like kind really of like, I, I have that defensive mentality. I'm physical. I can drive, but I'm not as in love with my three point shot.
1: Yeah. And obviously, and he has some issues finishing around the rim too. some, you know, the staffs don't like him so much there. The, yeah. I mean, there's certainly risks with him, but yeah, I, I like the fact that, he, that he's, that he can just do so much now he may not do it all perfectly now but he does a lot and he's got the link to be really pesky on defense as well, um, which is really, you know, something that uh, will be nice to have next to Kemba, you know, when, uh, when they go two points, uh, Ramon doesn't really have that Jeremy Lin uh, had the smarts and some of the size to do that the season prior. So, yeah, I like him. Um, you know, I they, I wrestled with the, with the wings, you know, I looked at a lot of Justin Jackson and Luke Kennard uh, to see, you know, the, the guys who'd be there when they would pick, uh I, I, I went ahead and just uh, scratched off the ananobi. Am I saying his name right? It's like it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, OG ananobi. ananobi. Yeah, I, I scratched him off because A, the shooting problems or the inconsistency, the stroke is weird. I don't I don't I don't think they could do two weird guys or weird stroke guys on the premiere with MKG um, and his knee, of course, we don't know if he's going to play this year.
0: Everyone's uh, scratching him. Everyone's scratching him off. I feel like, and, and he's destined to become Kawhi Leonard 2.0. I can, Uh, I'm already already anticipating it. And then it's, and then it's why did the Hornets pass up on Kawhi Leonard and OG Ananobi?
1: I know exactly. That's (laughs) such as our luck as Hornets fans. Um, so yeah, but, uh, the Kennard and Jackson, you know, the more I watch Kennard, I'm kind of coming around on him. I I don't think that he's going to be great. Like I, like he's, he's pretty grounded. Like you don't see Kennard ever go up strong and like just throw it down on somebody. Um, you know, six, five, I think he's got like a similar wingspan, uh, Good stroke, you know. I thought his stroke would be a lot, uh, you know, a little bit faster, but he he tends to like take a dribble, you know, or or, or you know, go through his like motion before he he'll put it up. I didn't see s- s- like a really fast, like a like a in like that's Markinen's biggest strength, obviously, is uh, he could just just absolutely stroke it. I didn't see that with Kanar, but I think Kanar is pretty crafty offensively, like he, I mean, he is kind of like a Bellinelli in some ways, um. He, and he sees the
0: floor. He sees the floor better than you would think a sort of token two guard sharpshooter would like he can make plays that, that just simple shooters could not make.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I think he'd be in that respect. I think he's a great uh, uh, compliment to Kemba, you know, cause they're always trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, set him up with guys who can, who can play make and, and Kemba can play some off ball. Right. So, and you know, he's really, he moves the ball with a lot of purpose. I wrote that in the piece. Like it just, everything seems like the, the game seems to, to move in the right direction when he's, when he's in there. He had to score a lot when he's at Duke. Um, and I wonder what his game would transition to in the pros when he's with more talented guys. But yeah, I'm, I'm coming around on him. You know, Jackson just doesn't do it for me. I mean, a lot of it is he's, he's 22 and I mean, he turned 22 in March. So by the time like mid season next year, he'll be 23. Uh, so. I, I'm really wary of guys who are, you know, blossoming in in their senior years at that age because they're playing against a lot of really really young dudes who are not very developed. So, um and at I'm that point, if you that. take Justin,
0: I like the comp that the Ringer had for Justin Jackson as Mike Dunleavy Jr. And I I think if yeah. you're taking a Justin Jackson at 11, you're essentially saying we we're looking for a role player. We don't think that we can get an impact, you know, a starter, a starter level, always going to be a starter kind of player. Now, this is, this is where swinging, we're, we're, again, it would be right in your single double wheelhouse.
1: I think he's a single though. I mean, I think, I think the top out with, with Jackson is like, yeah, because my issue is, is like, yeah, Mike Dunleavy, Wayne Ellington, guys like this, Well, you can find those guys as free agents. I, hell, if you want if you want a, a Mike Dunleavy or a, or a Wayne Ellington, you can just sign him in the offseason for like the you know biannual exception. You don't have to draft waste a draft pick on one. So whereas Kennard has a little bit of the upside because of the playmaking, because of the better shooting, more consistent shooting. He's younger. Um, I, I'm I'm a little bit more willing to roll the dice on him uh, than I am with Jackson. Um, I think you, you could possibly get a double or maybe even a triple out of, out of canard. If all uh, the cards fell, right.
0: I like that point. And I don't want to dig too far into free agency yet though. And go to his, go to his article on baselinebuzz.com to read his in-depth thoughts on free agency. And I want to have you back on the show to dig into that a little further, uh, later on this summer. But I do want to ask you this of the, uh, of their needs, backup point guard, rim protection, three and D wing, when you look over the free agency landscape, uh, which of those needs do you see that could be best addressed in free agency?
1: Okay, so so I broke this down in the their their problems last season down into three three groups: depth, injuries, and the ability to close games. Right, inability to close games. So, you know, which one of those positions could help them do that? Okay, so they so we let's break it down real quick because I know we're short on time here. So center. Backup, so backup center. They thought they they figured that out with Miles, right? They got him midseason. He was also hurt. They had almost no center. I think they're going to go. I didn't put this in the piece, but I'm pretty sure they're going to go with three centers this year. And that might be the reason why we're hearing these Ekbe Udo rumors about him coming over and the and the Hornets being interested. Maybe he signs for something like partial MLE or maybe he signs for the BA. I don't think he gets more than that from any other the team. So that's one uh, that's one position. It's very important. So th- I, I think all these are equally important to answer your question. And I think that the, uh, the, the backup point guard situation, you know, uh, their books and their, and their cap situation is, is in such a way that there is a shot. There is a small chance, at least, that Ramon's team option is, is uh, picked up uh, because, again, you look at the free agents and we'll get into that in another conversation. Uh, I don't know if you can you can address that in the free agency. So can you do this? Can you get one of the swing positions or the backup point guard via the draft? That's the question, right? And if they did that in the draft, if they use the draft find a rotation guy who could be in the rotation by, say, you know, February, March, the latest, at uh, the very latest, um, then yeah, I mean, you guess maybe Kennard is plug and play somewhat, right? Maybe he can give you 18 minutes a night or something like that. Point guard, if you if you really love Dennis Smith and you think he's going to be really special, trade up and get him, you know. Or if he falls, I think he's ready to play. Mitchell similarly, I think you can project that Mitchell will play in his, his rookie year, uh, and that could that could uh, remedy that backup position. But he's not a pure point either. You know, he's not a pure point. Uh, if he, you know, he, he's gonna he's gonna need to have Nick or somebody else on the floor with him uh, during some of that time.
0: Going back to. The beginning of this conversation, when we talked about Steven Jackson being traded and starting the ball rolling on this commitment to relevance, one of the other names that was included in that trade was Sean Livingston. And Sean Livingston is an unrestricted free agent coming up this summer. Only made, so he made five and a half million. He's 31 years old. Definitely could be had. The Warriors are going to have to make a ton of tough decisions. I just don't see Sean Livingston being one of the decisions to remain. So I think, I I, I think Sean Livingston, you know, tall can, can play defense kind of goes, no, no, no. Yeah. It would, it would totally be a defensive maneuver. It would not be one that you would, you can't depend on him offensively, uh, except in spurts. But if you wanted to put somebody behind Kimba who can protect the rim by not letting guys blow right by them, it could be your guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, smart, a lot of big game experience, uh, defensive uh, abilities. Um, let me ask you a question: If you, for the, let's say that Sean Livingston wanted the full MLE, and I think he can probably get that's all the Hornets can offer him. And again, we can get into this in another conversation. But if you wanted to, if you had Sean Livingston and he wanted the full MLE, say he settled for that, he'd take it over four years. It's like thirty-seven million dollars, or you could have. <laughs> like his, you know, doppelganger, Michael Carter Carter Williams. Williams, yeah, for like for the BAE, said BAE, MCW, or, you know, Bay, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, What 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 do you do, Don? What's what's your what's your choice in the matter?
0: Hey, listen, that's why that's why they don't pay me the big bucks. That's why I'm not Richard Cho. That's a that's a Rich tough man. decision. <laughs>
1: That's Rich Homie show to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that's it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's no. Listen, that's <laughs> a thing that I don't think a lot of people. How tough? David and I were talking about this the other day. We were sort of going over. Uh, oh, you could do this. Oh, what it was is we're we're about to do a mock mock the draft on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we got a few trade offers for our eleventh pick. And I don't want to start the rumor mill, but we got a few trade offers. One of them was for uh, um, a certain center, a plotting center in Toronto. And we were talking about scenarios or what we could offer, what we could counter. And I'm thinking like the the, the general manager has to do this within minutes in the war room. And in free agency, you're talking about making decisions about offers that Will affect your ability to make decisions on other offers. It's a, it's very, it's, it's it's a. Ooh, I'm getting a little nervous talking about it.
1: Well, I don't know if Rich true had to actually, if he couldn't make the decision whether or not to trade the 11th pick for a balance units in in three minutes, then he should be fired. Well, because <laughs> well. I, I could make that decision the moment you said plotting. I was like, yep, nope, nope yeah, no, not, it, not trading it, it, it,
0: right? Nope. But um, no, we have made that decision. Well, we were really trying to debate whether we could unload. Plumbly in that, but
1: well, well, you want to talk about that in the next conversation? Yes. Let's,
0: let's, cause I, I want to give it its due time. I do want to ask you about this right. really quickly. Michael kick Gilchrist. We're going to talk about this later in the show. Uh, it has a, a new shot doctor, a lethal shooter, Chris Matthews, a former, uh, St. Bonnie, St. Bonaventure, uh, shooting guard, third shot doctor essentially, or, or third, um, guy working on his shot the the first being um mark price and then uh, assistant coach bruce kretzer and, and now and now this guy what do you think about his future prospects uh, to become a decent shooter
1: uh, i mean you know what i would have been more positive if the regression didn't happen this past year a lot of the same sloppy things we saw with the elbow coming out and the and then the, you know, the, the shooting, I'm sorry, the guide hand going over the, it, you know, just the whole thing that just, we saw a lot of that stuff show back up that had disappeared a little bit. Um, the previous, uh, in the previous season during, his I think a little bit right? is
0: the key a little bit because even a little bit after he had worked from with Mark price and, and even in those seven games that we saw him, uh, two seasons ago, there were still issues. And when Mark first started to work with, MKG, he said this is going to be a long process. And then he left to go coach UNCC.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I, I feel, yeah, so you know, I this, do this guy, this Matthews guy uh, signed a long term deal with him. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, he's the, here's the thing. I mean, I, I'm pretty critical overall. Of, I was critical of the pick when they made it. It's, just, you know, to a certain extent, I haven't liked the pick since then. This is now going on five years. And all that said, He's still 23, which just blows my mind to think that, you know, this is the guy who started playing, you know, for Mike Dunlap and with Corey Higgins and, you know, all these blasts from the past, Byron Mullins. He knows what it's like to play alongside Byron Mullins on a Bobcats team. Um, So he's 23 and he, um, he, you know, Gerald Wallace didn't learn how to shoot jump shots until he was well into his mid twenties. I mean, we saw that explosion happen in, in, real time, you know, like he was a non-shooter and then all for his, his time in Sacramento and his first couple of years, uh, with Charlotte. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jay rich, you know, shows up and I don't know what happened, uh, between he and maybe it was Sam Benson or, or later Larry Brown, he started raining threes. So, um, and he was like 26, 27 when that happened. So yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's going to work. I mean, but that shot, it was just so broken. And uh, we could go on that for a long, long time. Um, he's a hard worker, super high intangibles. That's never been uh, uh, debated. The biggest issue with with this, though, for me, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, like what the, you you almost if you're the Hornets, you have to have him keep doing this because you owe him thirty six million dollars, 12 million over the next three seasons. And what can you get for him if you don't I anyway? Mean, can you trade him? <laughs> Like, like who, who's going to ask you for Michael Kidd, Gilchrist. And if they do want you want Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, they're going to have to send you back something that you don't want because I doubt they're going to give up like a legitimate asset. Right. So the only, you know, he's too, he's not really big enough you know, physically to, to become a power forward, you know, so he, at least full time. So you're going to have to have him learn how to shoot to mm-hmm. either upgrade his value to trade eventually, or just, to, you know, to not be a sunk cost. So regardless of what happens, you know, with his future, this has to happen. What he's doing, just improving his shot for his career, for the, the trajectory of the team, for the books. There's just there's really no way out of this without him learning how to shoot. So they're, they're married to each other regardless, you know, unless they want to take back another plumly.
0: Let's let's end here. Uh, at the end of your article, you, you try to uh, preempt some of the tweets. That are going to come out probably post. There's whatever they decide to do on June 22nd. You try to preempt some of these tweets that uh, the the Cavs are gonna going to destroy the Hornets. That Michael Jordan uh, is is taking this team in the wrong direction. What is your message uh, to to those fans who think that a commitment to relevance is um, irrelevant?
1: Well, 27 other teams. If your standard is. We have to win a championship, then 27 other teams are also irrelevant, right? So, yes, there will be a day when LeBron finally becomes a human being again. And there's going to be a day in which Steph finally slows down and, and the, the Warriors can't pay a $600 million payroll, whatever they're going to pay after the tax. Um, and all that said, look at what happened in Washington, D.C. this past year. My wife's from that area. Um, you know her, her brothers, and her stepdad are the big fans, and and people are engaged. They they haven't been to the conference finals since the nineteen seventies. You know you got people wearing war, uh, wizards hats now. You know that, that that hadn't cared since the bullets. You know were good uh, generations ago. So you look at what's going on in Toronto. You know I mean I don't I don't I don't think they would ever trade the past three or four or five years. Uh, you know, for the potential of a ping pong ball, they've had a really good, really good run there. And and the city is engaged. They have this whole thing called we're the North. So can, can, can Charlotte get to a point where like they can have like a two or three year run where they're winning like 50 games and, and they can make a conference final. Can they win one playoff round? You know, the Hornets, the Charlotte NBA franchise has never won, has never been to a conference final ever. Imagine if they did 30 years later, right? Like, I know that's not winning a championship. I know that's not, you know, being the best team in the league, but you know, you got to commit to something and they, they got enough good pieces now where they, ask, they at least have to try. So um, if your standards a championship, I think you got to lower your standards and be a little bit r- realistic of the situation and, 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 you know, crawl before you can walk, right. Crawl before you can walk. That's my message.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Adam. I I appreciate you taking the time out to join us here on Locked on Hornets to share this perspective, uh, which you can get much more of. 4,600 words. That's amazing. On the Hornets offseason, a lot of history and a, a lot of perspective and analysis. Adam, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Doug.